0: Oftentimes, you find two seemingly random objects that when you add a word or add a key, all of a sudden now they feel connected. When you take two ideas, two things that seemingly don't belong together, but when you understand the connection point, the pivot point, you realize, oh, they actually really are connected. Let me give you a couple examples. On the surface when you hear the words bear and worm, they don't really seem connected until you add the word gummy, right? Think about gummy bear, gummy worm. Okay, oh, okay, they're connected. Uh, Another one, if you think of the word traffic and you think of waffle, seemingly unrelated until you add the word cone, right? Or if you think of the movie Footloose, The original and Denny's, they don't seem connected until you add the word bacon into it. Right? Well, this morning's message here in week four of our series, Who is Jesus, is like that. That this morning's message is entitled Really The Power of God's Word. And and we're talking about two stories that are both found in Mark chapter four. Two stories that, as a pastor uh, going to a Christian university and studying ministry, it's, it's common stories and common knowledge that you study this when you go into ministry. But I never really tied the two together, other than the fact that they're both in the same chapter. And what we're going to discuss today are seemingly two different ideas, two different really stories that are actually held together. Almost think of it as like two shoelaces, and that this morning's message is hopefully the knot in between. And those ideas are really known as the seed and the storm. The seed and the storm. Because we're going to talk about the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, and then we're going to talk when Jesus calms the storm. And they happen in Mark chapter 4, and this series is all about who is Jesus, and trying to answer... Really, this question based on our study of the most talked about figure in all of history through looking at the least talked about gospel account in the Bible, the gospel of Mark. And we're going to see that it's the word of God that ties these two stories together today. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, is that you can trust God's word to transform your life. You can trust God's word to transform your life. Your life It's God's word that ties the seed and the storm together. And another way to phrase that is to really think through the fact that God's word is simple like a seed, but then it's also stronger than the storm. The first part of this message is really going to be the challenge. And the second part is really the encouragement or the reason why you can trust him. Normally in sermons you preach a message and here's the content and then you end with a challenge. Today we're actually gonna start with the challenge and then we're gonna end with why you should accept that challenge and why you can have confidence in that. Because when we talk about trusting the Word of God, it's not about the amount of trust that you have. It's about the object or, or really just the person in whom you have trust that matters. Picture for a moment if you are stumbling down a mountain, you're starting to slide down a hill and you see a tree branch sticking out and a rock or a tree branch sticking out. What's more important? How much you grab onto that tree branch or can that branch hold you up? Right? Because if you barely grab hold of it, you'll still hang on and you'll still survive. Versus if you fully grab hold and wrap around this branch, but it cannot hold the weight of you, you're still going to fall. And a definition of trust is really the confidence you have in someone's character and competence. There might be people in your life that you trust as a person. They're the nicest guy. They're the nicest girl. But they don't know what they're doing, right? And so you like them as a person, but you're not going to give them a job. But then there's other people who you trust their competence. They're great at what they do, but you don't trust their integrity. Right? And ultimate trust is when you have confidence in both someone's competence and character. And so when it comes to trusting God, it's not about the amount of trust that you have. You can come in with all your questions, with all your doubts, even with all your anger, if you have it towards God, because it's not about that amount, but rather the object of your trust. And I want to give you the freedom to question it out because what we're going to see here is that trust in God's word, trust in God's power, is like the fact that it's described as a seed means it's accessible, it's small, it's simple to start. You don't have to understand everything in Christianity to have faith. You don't have to uh, just have like a seminary degree to understand and trust in God's word, to have faith. That it starts simple, it starts small, but when it grows, it's more powerful than anything else in your life. It's simple like a seed, it's stronger than a storm. So let's jump into it. Let's go ahead and see this challenge, how Jesus puts it. He's doing ministry. We talked last week how, from Mark chapter 2 that Jesus is for everyone, but also Lord over everything. And that you have to accept both statements as true. That when you accept that jesus is lord for he is for everyone it breaks that cycle and belief structure of moralism where good people in, bad people out but then you also have to believe that jesus is lord over everything that he wants all of who you are that he is the authority of truth not we as the authority of truth and we fight progressivism and relativism who like to say well open-minded it is in and judgmental is out no jesus is both for everyone but also he is Lord over everything, meaning that he is the ultimate authority and structure. That as a church, we don't simply stand on God's word, and we pick the verses we like versus the verses we don't like to prove a point, but rather we all collectively, myself included, sit under the authority of God's word. And that when you read scripture and there's something that you don't like, okay, who's in the wrong there, (laughs) right? Right? We have to understand and submit to that collectively. And so we're going to be challenged in that. And so Jesus is, is for everyone. He's, he's doing miracles. In Mark chapter 3, he heals a man with a withered hand, but he does so on the Sabbath, so he makes the religious leaders mad. And he talks about how the power of life he calls for all 12 disciples. In there, he's ministering. He preaches on the Holy Spirit. He talks about who is family, that if you believe in him, if you follow him, that you are his family. And so now a crowd is starting to gather, and we pick up now in Mark chapter 4, and we read this, that again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea. Now this is, this is great, because in just a few verses, at the end of our sermon, just about 15-20 minutes from now here, you're going to see a boat come back into play, And so it is an illustration in the making. It's a little setup for the point he's going to make for his disciples later, but also for those who like logistics, it's very practical. There's a huge crowd. They don't have amplification, so how are they going to hear Jesus? Well, by getting in a boat and sitting down and speaking towards the shore, where most likely there were some hills there. Right now, acoustically speaking, and he could speak and everyone could hear him. And so he's preaching in a boat. His disciples are mostly fishermen. Right, that's going to come into play in just a few moments, so hang on to that. But for right now, we read that he sat in on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, he said, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, so he who has ears, let him hear. Now that's a cool little story. You know, a parable is really an illustration or a story, like a physical reality to describe an eternal truth. A physical picture to describe a spiritual truth and a principle to understand. Take a complex subject and make it speak in a language in a way that people can understand. And he goes on and says that he's going to, he shares the keys to the kingdom, to the disciples, but for everyday public, he preaches in parables. That's why a lot of pastors and in sermons and stuff, myself included, often speak in illustration of trying to not invent truth, but to communicate truth in a way that people can connect with. You take an idea where someone's not sure what it means, and you describe it in a way or in a field of life or in a way that they understand, and now they can connect the two. And so that's what Jesus does here. And if, if you hear the story of the sower or someone who's planting seed, throwing out seed, you're like, oh, that's nice, but I have no idea what that means. I want you to know you're in good company because the disciples who, mind you, just witnessed multiple miracles also had no idea really what it meant at that time. And so if you've ever been the one in a classroom to hear the teacher say something and, then they, and you, you daze out for a minute, and then she goes, All right, does that make sense? Can we move on? Yeah, okay. And you're like, Wait a second, I just missed it. You're okay because the crowd missed it too. It happens to all of us. We, we think we're so clear when we communicate. Just yesterday, I was coaching a little kid's basketball. We came down to the end of the game, right? And I was like, all right, you have to go this way. You're going to go this way. And we're like, you got it? Got it? Yeah, got it, coach. As soon as the whistle blew, they ran the complete opposite way. It's like, oh, man, I get it. But we do that too, don't we? We do that. God tells us to do something. All right, I want you to do this. And we're like, ah, no. And we turn. And it's so easy to forget. But thankfully, Jesus follows up this story of the parable to directly tell us this is what it means. Some parables, we have to figure it out and try to guess and commentary and compare. It's like, well, I think Jesus means this. I think Jesus means this. We don't have to wonder with this first parable because he actually says, here is what it means. And so we continue reading in verse 13. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? And how then will you understand all the parables? There's a key verse here, verse 14. The sower sows the word. What is the seed that we're talking about? The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And what's interesting in this case is that the sower gets no accolades here. It gets no no awards. There's nothing special about that. And as a pastor, as a preacher, that both takes the pressure off but then also very much a challenge for me because what you realize when you see that verse that the sower sows the word and that's it the preacher gets like four words in this parable is that it's not about me in other words it's not about celebrity pastors celebrity preachers there's a revival kind of thing going on right now in Kentucky, a small Christian college there Asbury and there a lot's been written on it and you can read on it and it's it's really incredible. But it's really cool though. So what started as a simple chapel service where a preacher got up and spoke and then he actually when he got done like texted his wife, "Man, I whiffed it, another stinker." And <laughs> he left. Well, the students didn't leave. And the spirit moved and they and they just stayed and now they're going on like day like 15 of like this continuous prayer worship service and at this point now thousands upon thousands of people has made their way into this small town and just people are repenting and crying and getting saved and praying with one another and what's cool is there a lot of media is trying to come in and they've rejected and pushed out the media and said no no media and they said no celebrities just Jesus isn't that cool I love that and and so it's a challenge for me as a preacher right that it's not about me But understand this, this isn't just a parable about pastors, this is for Christians too, that when you share your faith, it's not about you. It is about others. But the nice part is the pressure's off because when you sow the seed, right, you send it out, it's not your job to save, it's your job to share. And he shares four different types of soil in there, which is encouraging in the sense that it it shares the reality of how people can respond to the Word of God, but it's discouraging that by the start, the starting point, only 25% of people are even going (laughs) to get it right out of the gate, and that's like the highest possible percentage, right? And so you are not responsible for how someone responds to the Word of God. Your job as a Christian is simply to share the Word of God. But you can take encouragement from that because it's not about you, and it's not up to you. You simply have to share because you don't know what is in people's hearts. So it he continues on now in verse 15, it says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. It says, they hear the word and Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And then there are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises, on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And verse 18. And others are the ones who sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those... that were were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit a 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now what's interesting about those four types of soil is that all four of them hear the word of God. And what that tells me is that just simply attending a Sunday morning service is not where the battle lies. Just hearing the word of God does not determine your life. It's what do you do with the word of God? And so the question is, how is the soil of your heart? What will you do with the seed that's planted into your heart today? What are you going to do with it? What is the application? So it's not just the Sunday sermon or the message. It's great. It has a place. It has value. But also, what are you going to do with it afterwards? What are you going to do on Monday or Tuesday? Any day that ends in Y. Because that will determine the fruitfulness in your life. Not checking a box. Oh, I went to church at Christmas at Easter. Or I went to church today. I went to church every week. I got perfect attendance. Perfect attendance does not equal fruitfulness and faithfulness in God's work. It's how you respond. And so it, it actually offers us four challenges here of the heart. Four challenges of the heart. The first type of soil that we see is the path. That's the, it's like a sidewalk. It's a hardened ground. That really describes a life of triviality. It's trivial. It's, it's passive. It, it's ignorance. There's a lot of different words you could use to describe it. basically, it just falls on deaf ears. Right If you've ever said something to a coworker, to a spouse, and they just give you that blank look back, like. Right. If you're like, are you listening? Yeah. 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 I'm listening. Of course I'm listening. Right. Like we've all had that moment. Okay, Jesus speaking, there are people that respond that way. There's some people when you hear the word, it just bounces right off. And the reality is, is that until the Holy Spirit kind of pricks your heart or opens your your mind to that, it's just going to go right over your head. It's just, gonna, it's just not going to land. And I understand that there's some people hearing this today that it's just not going to land. But there's also hope in that. There are many pictures, I don't have any on the screens this morning, but there are many pictures where if a seed does break through and take root and grow, it's pretty powerful to watch a tree break through a rock and grow. The fact that any plant survive here in Arizona is amazing right? It's amazing, right? It, it, anything survives, it's a win. I mean, it might be a little prickly, but might be, describe us as Christians as well, right? We might be a little prickly, but we survive, okay? But there is hope for anyone, but you have to allow the Word of God to actually take root in your life. Otherwise, it's just going to get washed away or brushed away, or the birds will come and eat it. Some people just come onto to church, or they hear the Word, or they read it, and it just goes right over the head. Like, it just doesn't stick, I understand that. Is that you? Second challenge of the heart, second type of soil, really is described as a a seed thrown among rocks. And that describes the trials that come. So you hear the message, you receive it with joy, you're excited about it, you love the things that Christianity offers, forgiveness, purpose, love, joy. But life is hard, right? and so if you hear the message and you receive it with gladness but you don't allow it to take root into your life that when hard things happen you're not sure where to turn right when you hear things like prosperity gospel like if you believe in jesus and you will be blessed and god will provide and do all these things which is true but blessing is really more of a spiritual reality Right? And so, wait, but well, what about this difficult thing? What about when I preached this, I obeyed God and, and people persecuted me for it? Right? Well, I don't want that. I don't want hardship. And they turn. But the reason they can't maintain through a storm or through a drought is because they haven't allowed the Word of God to take root in their life. And that takes root through studying it, through memorizing it, through meditating on it through speaking it with others, actually living in a way that shows that you believe that it's true, right? Do you trust it? So the first type of soil, really, it brushes away because it's, tri- it's trivial. Second type of soil is rocky and that it, it fades away when the scorching sun comes out because of the trials. Well, the third type of soil in the thorns is actually a pursuit of treasure. Now, this seems weird to me. I mean, I don't want to tell Jesus how to do his job, but I feel like he mixed up two and three, right? Like, wouldn't you think that trials and difficult circumstances and situations are the things that would choke somebody out? But he doesn't say that. What he says is that it's the pursuit of stuff that actually suffocates you. That when you get distracted by just temporary carnal desires and pursuit of things that is what's going to choke out your faith because our ultimate pleasure and joy and, and the cravings of our soul are only met by God no amount of money in your bank account can calm your soul no amount of stuff or the new thing new car new house new phone new whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your lust of choice is, is not going to satisfy your soul. And if we get stuck in that mindset that I need X to be happy or to have joy, to wait through, to, like, I have to wait till I'm beyond a hard thing or a hard situation to have joy, you will not have joy. And the things of this world will distract will pull you away. Even that word distract at its root is to actually pull you away from something else. And so when you turn your eyes, your focus off of Jesus, off of the word, you're gonna, and you think something is going to satisfy, you're always left craving more, or when you get it, you're going to feel, is that it? I thought if I got the promotion, I thought, if I got that, and, and understand this—that money and, and promotion, and 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 things, and relationships, and the marriage, and, and whatever it is that you're going after—those things in and of themselves are amoral, meaning that they are not moral, not good or bad. Like, right here is a chair. Okay, this chair is amoral; like, it's not good or bad. You can sit in the chair. It is great. You're all sitting in chairs. It is, it is functioning well. Now, if we were in a wrestling ring and you picked up the chair and started hitting someone with it, okay, now it is an instrument of evil at that point, right? Like you're taking it down, like same object, a chair you're sitting down or a chair to break someone's back, right, is it, the object, the chair is not the bad thing. It's what you do with it. So money at it, in itself and resources, when stewarded well, can provide blessing, but money will never satisfy the cravings of your soul. And if you get stuck in that endless cycle of searching for stuff, you're gonna end up like that hamster on a wheel, just running, 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 running. And at the end of the day, you don't go anywhere and you're exhausted. It'll choke you out. Amen. Now that I've uplifted and encouraged all of you, <laughs> we can be reminded, okay, not simply how do you hear the word what are you going to do with it because that's the soil is how will you respond to the word today well the path that's taken away it's trivial the rocks that's difficulty in trials the thorns is really that pursuit of earthly treasure thankfully there is a fourth option the good soil which is based in trust When your heart is in a place to receive the word of God, to allow it to take root in your life, as evidenced by obedience, right, it starts to grow. And when it grows, that tiny little seed brings with it fruitfulness 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he goes on even further, actually says that the kingdom of God is like a growing seed. I love that the word of God is described as a seed because it's small. No one's ever afraid of a seed that I'm aware of, right? Like, I mean, you can plant seeds, you can chew seeds, you can throw seeds, I don't know. But no one's like, ah, a seed, ah! Like, like here's the thing, I love that he's described as a seed because it's approachable. Okay, if you don't understand all the word, can can you start with one verse, one word? one thought one person right go through and and start simple and just allow what you do know to ruminate and illuminate your soul and your mind and you start to believe it and your identity changes and you start to act out of that identity instead of searching for identity and and pretty soon that seed grows into a transformative life and that life transforms your marriage your kids your business your community See, we think so small, we think about just trying to get through the hour and just trying to get through the day. God thinks through generations and legacies and lifetimes and eternity. There's no telling the eternal impact of one changed life for Jesus that ripples into all of eternity. And that starts by trusting that God can change you. Not that you have to change for God, but that god in believing his word and the power of his spirit will change you. Romans 12 talks about no longer be conforming to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, passive tense, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, you can trust god's word to change you. So that's the challenge. <laughs> right? How's how's the soil? How's the soil in your life? How, how is your heart right now? Is what I'm saying, just bouncing off? Just letting it go? You're thinking about all your to-dos right now? I, I mean, I get it. But you just letting it bounce off, pass, pass on by, all that's for someone else. Are you struggling right now through a trial? It's like, oh man, I feel like I'm getting scorched right now and you need some roots. Are you stuck in that endless cycle trying to pursue things and stuff, and you go to bed exhausted, longing for more? Are you willing to pause and let the Word of God take root in your life and to grow, that you might not see that fruit today, but you're going to see it in the time to come, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, well beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine? And so he gives this challenge. And now notice at the end of the chapter, same chapter, chapter 4, verse 35. He says, on that day. Same day. See, this is where I realized these stories are connected here. He's preaching on a boat about the soils. How will people receive the word? And now notice here. When the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Here in the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. And just as he was, and this is a key verse here, is a key little detail that Mark includes. He says, and other boats were with him. Notice there are other boats in the water. This is key in just a second here, okay? Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. And I love me some verse 38, because here's why. But... Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. Jesus took naps. <laughs> right? Some of you are going to go home and be like, hey, what are you doing today? Like, I'm living out scripture. Mark 4.38. Be like, if you get nothing else, be like Jesus today. Right? Now, how crazy is this, right? Most of the disciples were fishermen who made their livelihood on the same sea that they were in. They just spent the entire day listening to teaching from Jesus on a boat. They're in the boat. It's dark. How scared do you have to be for the wind and the waves to feel like you're, you're, you're going to die? Like if you're not a boat person, you, get, you hit one wave. You're like I'm out. It's over. We got to jump. We got to swim to safety. Like this is done. But if you live on the water, and your job up to this point is on the water, and you're on that same water, how bad does it have to be? Like, this is it. And he was asleep on the cushion, and they woke him. Okay, who wants to be the guy that wakes Jesus? Right? No, you wake him. No, you wake him. (laughs) Like, finally, someone steps up, and they said to him, hey, teacher, Jesus, Jesus. Wakey, wakey, (laughs) do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a calm. Now, again, I've preached through this story before. But I missed something last time I preached through this. It says, and the wind ceased, I get that. And there was great calm. Here's why this is, I think, is important. How often does a storm pass and then the waves remain? Have you experienced that? Like when a boat goes through, right, and it creates a wake, how far does that wake go? Even when a storm rolls through, right? and the water's choppy. I wonder how many of you here today, again, it's not the same story, same God though, so you can apply this here. I wonder how many of you the storm has passed, but the water is still choppy for you, right? Your storm happened a year, two years, a decade, five decades ago, but you're still in choppy waters because of it. Emotionally, physically, financially, you're still struggling with the effects of something else that happened to you or that you did, there are wind and then there is waves, and Jesus calmed both with a word. Do you see it? How did he calm the storm? Did he karate chop it? Then Jesus woke and he goes hiya? Like <laughs> he calmed the storm with a word. Peace, be still. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with fear. (laughs) They still had fear, but now it changed, right? Like you're afraid of the wind and the waves. But wait a second, this guy woke up from a nap, hit the snooze button, said, peace, be still. And I don't know, did Jesus go back to sleep? I don't know. But it's like, like, that's how little he was bothered by the storm. And they say, who then is this? This is the question of all of Mark. Who is Jesus? Who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? The challenge is to believe and to trust the word of God to transform your life. But then the encouragement is that same word, to give you a picture of the word, can calm a storm, the wind and the waves, in a moment. There's another story later in the gospel. Again, they're on the same sea. It's in the middle of the night. It's stormy. It's nasty. They think they're going to die. Jesus comes walking out on the water. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to go out there. And see, I've, I've preached this wrong before. Sorry, I have confession time here. Because as preachers, pastors, we preach that Peter walked on water. I want to tell you that he did not walk on water. Here's why. What did Peter respond to when Jesus called him out? He said, come. Don't miss this because this is a light bulb for me. And I, I think it might be a light bulb for someone in here. Okay. Peter did not walk on water. He walked on the word. Think about that. It was the power of the word of Jesus that said come. It's the power of the word of Jesus that calmed both the wind and the waves. And it's the power of the word of Jesus that can transform your life. That you don't have to walk with waves and winds in your life right now. You can walk on the word and you can trust it, but you got to let it plant in your soul. you got to believe it, receive it, and live it. So we gave you the challenge, but let me encourage you a little bit. Because if you're walking through something tough right now, I just want to encourage you that it's a different story, but it's the same God. So what principles can we take from this story that are still true 2000 years later? I believe it's this, that number one, if you're walking through or you're living through a storm right now, understand that if you believe in God, if you call yourself a Christian, you have Jesus in your boat. There were other boats on the sea that time. Who do you turn to? Right? Like you can't just be in like the guys in the other boats, like storms coming, they're afraid they're going to die. Carl, wake up, Carl. Like, just pick any name, right? Like, Steve, Sally. Sally, come on. There's a storm. Do something. What am I supposed to do? Right? There were other people in the storm. But the disciples could turn to Jesus. Look, if you're walking through something so hard right now in your life... I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's going to come from it. It, You might be walking through the deepest, darkest valley of the shadow of death, but you can fear not. Why? Because the shepherd is with you, that Jesus is in your boat, that you have someone to turn to. I don't know how people walking through the trials in this life get through it apart from faith. I just don't. You don't have to. You can turn to him. So you have Jesus in your boat. The second encouragement to you is that what scares you does not scare God. God right? When a little kid runs into mom and dad's room in the middle of the night, ah, there's a monster. The parent doesn't go back and say, oh, no, it's going to eat you. Run. Right. Okay. I just did that one time. I'm sorry. I apologize for it. Right. no, like what scares you, it does not scare God. He was taking a nap. He was unconcerned with that moment of what stressed everybody else out. Right, when you call 911, you don't want the person on the other end of the line to be more stressed out than you. 911, what is your emergency? You tell the mercy, oh no, what are you gonna do? What? What? You should call someone, <laughs> right? Like, you don't want, like, you don't want that, like so here's the reality, right? We can take comfort in the fact that you got Jesus in your boat. Number two, that what scares you doesn't scare Jesus. Number three is that Jesus cares that you're scared. He doesn't go back and say, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. Jesus cares that you're scared. He leans in. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you're questioning, and you look up to God, I promise you God's going to lean into you. And the last encouragement here is that while those other first three are nice, the most important thing to remember is that Jesus is greater than your storm. The Word of God is more powerful than any wind or wave or water coming your way right now. And you can question it. you can be angry, and you can have doubts. That's okay, (laughs) because it's not about the amount of trust you have. It's the object of your trust, and the reason you can trust the Word of God to change you is because at a word, God spoke the world into existence. At a word, the wind and the waves cease, and at a word, it is finished. Jesus conquered death itself so that we celebrate the truth that He has risen is power and evidence to understand that the Word of God, while it's as simple as a seed, it's so much bigger than any storm. And so you can trust God's Word to transform your life to transform your marriage, to transform your job, your health, your situation. Understand this, that God is with you. God is for you. God is in you. God loves beyond you. God works through you. Understand that the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is purposeful. The Word of God is accessible. And so what are you going to do with it? We have access to the greatest thing the greatest person and a savior who loves you and you can trust him do you trust him will you trust him His hearing's not enough will you pray with me dear heavenly father there's someone in the room right now who's never believed in you God I pray that we can just trust you as Lord and Savior and I know for some in the room it's going to pass right on by and for others it's not going to take root and for others still the pursuits of this world are going to choke, choke out their faith and prove unfruitful but, but God, for those who allow the seed of your word to be planted into their heart and their soul to take root and to change them God with you and you alone there's salvation there's forgiveness there's purpose and love and eternity that your word is greater than winds and any waves that can come our way so let us stand in awe let us find peace and let us place our trust in you as Lord and Savior. We love you, God, in your son's name we pray, amen.